0: with Martinez down. The fastball. The Robinson Gearing Studio Complex in Straight Out of God's Country, Qualies Island, South Carolina, the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network proudly presents Backwards K5. And now, here's the host of the show,
1: Jake Robinson. Good moment, Baseball Universe. What is up? What's cracking? Once again, back is the incredible, the pod animal, Jake the Snake Robinson from the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network. Half Man, Half Podcast Machine. I'm coming out of Paulie's Island, South Kakalaki, back into Captain Kirk Chair. Shields down, photons up. Prepare to engage on this week's bonus show called Backwards K-Pod, where we collect ball players. And their stories. Want to welcome everyone in today for this bonus show extravaganza i prepared for you. I'm going to get this ball rolling today. Not much of an uh, intro minutia on this one, folks. You know the deal. Backwards K-Pod is available on all platforms, wherever you listen to your pods. Or you can visit my website, com to hear this or any of the other shows in my always expanding vaults of archives i will never charge my beautiful seamhead audience for the content no patreon no crowdsourcing if you are on spotify or apple platform listening to this please remember to rate and review my performance as you see fit i ain't scared i do what i do when i do it and i do it better than anyone else so go ahead right away with that being said i'm gonna jump right into it today on this bonus edition of Backwards K-Pod, where we collect ballplayers and their stories. And I want to welcome a very special former MLB player, a man with a hell of a story to tell. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my honor to present to you the former Red Sox, Blue Jays, Diamondbacks player, Mr. Shea Hillebrand. Hey Shay, how you doing today on this beautiful morning?
2: I'm doing awesome, man. And it's great to hear your intro, your passion, your talent, and your ability to shine in front of the world, brother. So I'm super excited to be a part of this journey with you.
1: And I got to tell you, man, it's one of the things that I value about you. I love, you know, your message. I love your passion. I love the way you come out, you know, with these videos and stuff. And you try to make a better world for people today. We're going to get to that uh, eventually. Let me ask you a question. Did uh, you know, as a former player, did, did you watch any of the uh, World Series that just happened?
2: <laughs> Absolutely not. I did not. I you mean, did not watch
1: know. one minute of that. I, I, I find that so amazing. And uh, <laughs> let me tell you something. You know, when I when I speak to you, um, you know, and I don't know how much you're into music, but you kind of remind me in musical terms as the lead singer for Nirvana, uh, Kurt Cobain. And that sometimes... You know. I don't want to kill myself. No, I no, I'm not saying that part. Absolutely. But sometimes when you tell me your story, I see you as this reluctant star. Someone who knows you're one of the best in the world at what you do, you love what you do, baseball, but all the bullshit that comes with it, you detested it, you loathed it. And do you feel like that is an accurate assessment, taking suicide out of the picture, of course?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's a very tough road to ride because as uh, as you get higher up in the game, uh, scaling to the minor league system and, and and making your your childhood dream on top of the world, scaling that mountain, apexing that mountain, and having to sustain the success through that process is very difficult to do because you lose yourself. And when you lose yourself, you begin playing that pain-driven game. And right there is what's relevant to everybody out there that's listening right now, is that so many of us are trying to chase that success. You don't have to reach the apex of Major League Baseball or do what I did. I was just grateful and gracious enough to have the opportunity to do that. But so many of us are trying to chase the success, and we lose ourselves in the process. We don't show up as a good husband. We are a partner. We don't show up as a good father. And our our eternal world starts to fall apart.
1: Yeah, and that's that's very true. So, like, uh, you're saying that we don't have to aspire to be that great at something, you know, because it's really hard to become a major league player. I mean, you're talking probably 4% of the world can do what you guys do, right?
2: I'd imagine less than that. Yeah, there's 20,000 people all the time in 100 years to ever play baseball. And obviously there's 7.5 to 8 million people right now on the planet. So if you look at the numbers, you, the numbers are staggering. And you have a better chance to win the lottery than do what I did. But uh, listen to the audio clip on the intro, man. I, I really forgot how good I was. I can really
1: a <laughs> 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 Thank you for taking me down that journey uh, uh, that we did because that brought back great memories. Do you remember that game?
2: Oh, absolutely, and I didn't know what was going on through the process. It's funny that you say... Uh, What you do is because um, I'm facing Jason Jennings with the Colorado Rockies, and my numbers were very, very dismal uh, facing him. And my first home run happened to be off of Jason Jennings in that process. I didn't know. I was just I I was so focused on the game and uh, going out there to do what I need to do every single at bat, every single inning, because my identity lived and died on that stuff. Right. And and, uh, going going to my last at bat. I give a curtain call after my fourth at bat. So, my first at bat, I get a base hit, then I get a double, or excuse me, a home run, a home run, and a home run. So, uh, uh, my last at bat, I'm, I am walking out. Of the dugout, and Carlos bagger says, "Hey, dude, don't you realize that you're going for the all-time record four home runs and four consecutive innings?" I was like, "What?" <laughs> and I was standing in the batter's box my last at bat, and my knees were shaking. Right. It was like every every minute that I was watching a major league baseball game had shifted their focus. Like all all the syndicasts and uh, syndications have shifted to the, the watch my at bats. So the whole world watching me, and, and it's crazy because the pitcher threw me a first pitch hanging curveball
1: that I knocked could have just hit out of the ballpark but I could have launched out of it. Oh I could have launched I could have launched it out of the stadium All right. but I wasn't focused because
2: the pressure in that environment was so great, uh, that I took the first pitch but ultimately ended up hitting a double uh, to the right side of, which is left center, to the center fielder and scored Luis Gonzalez. So, ended that game with five for five, with three home runs and seven RBIs. Hey, that's
1: a good I day. A baseball that's a <laughs> that's a good day at the office, man. And, and I love that you remember everything so vividly. I got a game we're going to play down the line. Uh, You know, to test your little memory there, but I just love when, when ballplayers are able to recount stories and what the counts was, who's the pitcher was. I'm amazed by that kind of stuff. Um, let me ask you, uh, what was your introduction to baseball as a kid?
2: I just loved baseball. I loved being outside. I just loved throwing the ball against the wall. I loved hitting a ball of fatigue because I had a vision in my head and a dream in my heart of becoming a major league baseball player. So every chance I got, I was outside. I didn't sit still. I was that kid in class that was always disrupting the class. I I couldn't focus because i was like oh my gosh i have adhd ocd all those things that all the teachers and all the doctors and all the people are trying to take out of these kids today that's exactly what you need to tap into greatness and do something that very few people do. So it breaks my heart to see kids that are stifled, that their dreams and visions have been taken out of them because people can't control them. So I didn't listen to music until I was 14 years old. I never wow. watched TV. And, and the first band I listened to ever was Millie Vanilli. Blaming <laughs> it on the rain. <laughs> and, and I love these people. Then I find out that they're not even singing their
0: own song. Right. Sing it. I'm like, oh my gosh, i I go out <laughs> and take this anger and frustration out on mastering your craft. So ultimately,
1: as a child, uh, I, I, as I look back now, baseball wasn't out. I had internal pressure. Right, I had
2: internal stuff. I got you. going on inside of myself because of experiences I experienced like so many other people, and my out was sports. So I just. I was always mastering the crafts. So when I did that, I lost myself in the process and I became very comfortable in that space because I, when you focus on something in front of you, you really don't aren't allowed, and allow yourself to focus on all the external distractions, and and, and coming back, thought coming through my mind right now is like Kirk Cobain, right, and I think of Michael Jackson, right, I think of Mm -hmm. only Prince, I Mm -hmm. think of Whitney Houston, the only place I felt comfortable, the only place I felt uh, safe and at peace from that internal world of hell that I created was...
1: In the batting cage or in the batter's box. And it right.
2: became very toxic throughout the process.
1: Um, what what age do you start to notice that, hey, I'm better than my peers here? What What age is that when you start to realize that? Is that from day one?
2: I don't know if I was better, mm-hmm. but the thing is, is that and it's funny you say that, and I'm so glad you said that, because a revelation has came to my mind, mm-hmm. and this is what's relevant for everybody out there. You just labeled yourself as the best at what you do in your introduction. Mm-hmm. You believe that, right? right? Mm-hmm. So I wasn't the best, and okay. it doesn't matter if you are the best or not at what you do as a very, very...
1: Uh, talented podcast So I wasn't the best Okay, But I believed That
2: I had the intangibles And the drive and everything inherently Inside myself To become the best So right now I'm in the space of I create video content I, I speak around the world on stages And I teach and I coach And I believe I'm the best at what I do right. Every single day mm-hmm. And if you believe that you're best at what you do Regardless if you are the best or not is irrelevant. That's right. So if I am the best at what I do, and I believe that, uh, you 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 can uh, you get up every single day, and you do everything you can all day long to
1: maintain being the best. Right. It becomes like the. You, I'm sorry. If you are
2: the best at what you do, then you do everything you can all day long to become the best at what you do. So so many people are focused on oh I got to do this no. Just tap into that greatness. Right. So many of us, everybody, everybody, I believe everybody has greatness in us. Every last one of us. Sure. And so many people don't understand how to tap into that greatness. And we have to bust through and tap into the truth of who we
1: are. Absolutely. And you know, I'm listening to you, and it also becomes like this jumping board for you to start, you know, like maybe I'm not the best, but here's the thing. Uh, in my mind i'm the best and that's all that matters you know what i mean like I love it. like yeah. like to me i'm a list like i don't have to be a list in, in this person's eyes or that person's eyes because in my eyes i'm a list and i approach it like that every day and even if it's true or not i i totally agree with what you're saying i believe that it's a jump jump off of positivity towards being the best that you can be at whatever you try to be 100% And the thing that people struggle with and the thing that I experience with people at the major league level Mm -hmm. is that they think they're the best. Then they get on that stage to
2: show the world that they're the best, but they don't continue to do everything they need to do on a daily basis to push past that, to become elite. Yes, sir. To become great. They become the best in the world. So you look at a Bezos, you look at a, uh, all these guys that are successful, Steve Jobs, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, all of them, they've tapped into greatness, and they do stuff every single day to maintain that, to push past that, like a, like a supersonic jet pushing past the sound barrier. The resistance is so great, but once you get to that sound barrier, boom! Like it opens up a whole different world, right? So what I challenge you to do is, what are do you doing on a daily basis to make yourself to, <laughs> to fill yourself up? Uh, are you working out? Are you eating properly? Are you hydrating properly? Are you watching out? Like I have got this high right now without alcohol and drugs and pornography and sex. Right. I have this high right now because i have tapped into the truth of who I am. And once you tap into that truth of who you are, and a depth that so many people don't need, don't experience. Man, you you just want to to stir up this hunger. You just want to keep going. So I try to become the best I can in my interpersonal relationships with my wife, with my kids, with my friends. And I try to become the best with my spirit, in my mind, in my body. And then that drives me to become the best of what I do in my profession. So so many guys on top of the world playing Major League Baseball, once they get there, they become complacent, Mm they become mediocre.
1: And I'm curious, um, was this like, um, this way that you think and you see the world, was this something that was instilled in you from the beginning or was this something that you come to realize because of the experiences in your life, whether they were bad or disappointing? Um, is this, is this like a new revelation of a way you look at things? Were you always this Uh, way?
2: The way I look at it now, uh, through a totally different lens, and that's formed by your perspective, and the perspective that so many people view the world at right now is limiting them. It's put a glass ceiling on top of themselves, shackle them inside their internal zoo, which is what I call, because I'm an animal freak, and they're complacent, they shackle the status quo, and mediocre because those limited beliefs that created inside themselves from the stories that they have and the experience and how they interpret and communicate those experiences to themselves throughout their life, basically in their childhood and through their adolescence. So my mom likes to say, well, you had it in you. You're different, Shay. You're cut from a different cloth. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't let anybody tell you no. Right. You've had this inherent drive inside you the whole time. But I believe so many people have some sort, have access to the same drive, but they're not on track. There's so many people living a nine-to-five, uh, just going out there and living a life that's not in line with their calling, with their purpose. Look at yourself before you did podcasting. This is you, bro. Right. Like, podcasting is your lane, man. Mm-hmm. If yeah. you try to go do something else, you're not <laughs> going to find fulfillment. You're not going to tap into the Greatness, you're not going to really see who you are. And I'm trying to challenge people to audit their perspective and audit where they are right now. And I'm not saying, hey, quit your nine to five, but if you're miserable in your nine to five, we got to do something differently because you weren't created for that. You created the situation that you're in where you have to provide and do a job a make men's meat, but we got to figure out how to push past that and tap into what we've been put here to do. And I've done that. I remember when I was a little kid, the Little League, uh, uh, I'd be on the way home and I'd be so mad. Uh-huh. I mean, 10 years old. And uh, I'd get out of the car and I'd slam the door in my brother, older brother's girlfriend's face.
1: Oh. And my mom's like, you need to apologize to her. Listen, I didn't. I wasn't
2: aware. And she's like, what's wrong with you? And I'd always say, my teammates are not train as hard as me, man. They don't get it. You have to go out there and give it all on the field every single day. If you don't do that... You're not going to have a chance to succeed. Uh-huh. And these people just lollygag around complacent that they got a little base hit. Bah, 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 and I'm like, dude, we got to go. Right. I went five for five that night with the D-backs that you posted. But the next day, I didn't go five for five. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out how do I make myself better because that's the way you have to achieve and have to uh, 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 approach life. Uh-huh. Uh, we've been put here with one shot. And it doesn't matter where you are. That's through my story that I told myself experiencing both my childhood dreams and ending up in a van nine years ago, one breath away from losing my life, I've had to recreate this whole new person at 40 years old right. uh, that you're talking to and listening to right now. So don't give me that crap that, oh, I'm too old. Um, I've already passed it. You know, life's passed me by. I'm just going to ride after the sunset. You're doing yourself a the service. And you're going to continue to beat yourself up if you don't sit still and try to tap into and discover that greatness. So many people go horizontally with the job. Somebody do, do go horizontally with a nine to five or progression, and they just get ah muddled down. You have to switch that horizontal approach to a vertical approach. You have to dig deep and discover the truth and the greatness of why you're here, and once you do that, you can build vertically and you just launch into the universe like a rocket. It's insane. Man.
1: It is insane, and brother, I gotta tell you, man, you and I, we we are. Cut from the same cloth You know, I've said this before to other people That uh, you and I both have this Like win the day kind of personality Man, it's just like Whatever's in front of you, boom You take it out, you you do what you gotta do And you try to get better And I I think that that more people should really listen To what you're saying today, absolutely Um, Now, when you First stepped onto The Fenway uh, Fenway Park Field What's that like?
2: Did you it feel is, like you would it's accomplish? Right. It is. Wow. Mm-hmm. This is a major league stadium. And I remember we started out on the road, uh, my rookie season, and then uh, came home. And we came home late at night, and the bus drops you off at the stadium. Your car's parked at the stadium or, or, or dropped off there right. by, by the transport company uh, that brings it up from Florida because our spring training was in Florida. And, uh, so your, your car is at the stadium and then you drive off to your house or wherever you live. And I had to go through the concourse and I had to walk through the walkway and I had to look, fin- oh my gosh, I have the goosebumps right now. Um, oh my gosh, this is Fenway Park. And I'm like, this is where I'm going to be playing tomorrow. Right. And it was amazing. I think my first game at Fenway Park, I hit a, I hit a home run, uh, and over the monster. And, uh, it's just, you, you just, um, uh, You just gotta go. You just gotta. It's in the process. It's how you work. It's how you do it. Um, There's no reason why I shouldn't been in the major leagues. I just I I forced my way and I leveraged every opportunity that was in front of me. Mm -hmm. And there's so much better talent in AAA. There's so much better talent in the minor leagues because I've rehabbed down in the minor leagues when I was very successful in the major leagues. I'm like, oh my gosh, what are you guys doing here? And I was like, oh, they don't have the mindset. So it's all in the mindset, the heart set. You gotta Honestly. navigate the pressure, perform under pressure, navigate failure, learn how to pivot. When they turn those lights on at night, and the people are pop, eating popcorn, and there's 40,000 in the stands, and the buzz the crowd, and ESPN, and all the and all the focus on you, you gotta figure out how to step to the plate. So many guys didn't know how to do that. Right. Uh, and I figured out how to do that very quickly, because I just worked. I worked. You gotta have discipline. You can't take the same mindset you have right now into a new generation of greatness of who you created to be. You have to change your mindset. You have to be disciplined in your mindset and disciplined with the truth of who you are. And that's where you to discover greatness. So many people will not become disciplined in their mindset because they've been created habits, and they've been complacent with where they are, and it makes me so sad. So yeah. you to revitalize souls and plant seeds.
1: Absolutely. And would you say that playing in Boston was the... Probably your favorite time as a Major League Baseball player. Was that your be- favorite time? Because I I kind of feel like I saw a difference in your your demeanor after Boston. Uh, I remember you being on the Red Sox and absolutely destroying my Orioles. I mean, like every year, like clockwork. It uh, really seemed like you were enjoying the game when you're beating the shit out of us. Um is that like your favorite time in the ma- in, in the major leagues, or you know, were you even miserable there?
2: That, that that's just a phenomenal question. So thank you for asking me that because one hundred percent, Red Sox red is in my face. Mm-hmm. I was I was the person to. I was hoping to play my whole career there. Like the fans, I'm a blue nose player, like a blue collar town, red nose. Like man, like I ran hard from home to first every single time I'd get out uh if I got out or when I got out I'd be going back to the dugout and the fans were like it's alright Shane We'll get him don't worry about it it's like a family man and and they booed me when I made an error on the field and they booed me when I didn't come through and that's just how it's supposed to be that's right. fans that's family that's passion but they never booed me for effort they never booed me for not showing up every day and giving my max effort and focusing and concentrating and, and, and presenting myself in that position, position to represent the Red Sox so when I was on the plane um we were going to Toronto um, in 2003 and not many people know this but May 29th I was traded from Toronto to excuse me I was traded from Boston 2003 to Arizona Diamondbacks mm-hmm. and Johnny Damon came up to my seat on the plane and he says dude we just traded you to Arizona and I'm like what <laughs> it's like I found out from a teammate first about right. the organization. So, yeah. I was like, how did this happen? That's shitty. But what people don't realize is that I was hitting seventh in that lineup. That lineup was stacked. And I was leading the Red Sox in two months with RBIs. I had 49 RBIs mm-hmm. after two months, and Manny Ramirez
1: had 47. Wow. So, I had almost 50
2: RBIs after two months. That's, right. like, that's like a third way through
1: the season. Sure.
2: And after I got traded, my career was over.
1: It I was. was. Done. Yeah, well, I know that. I was miserable, right, I was and you were miserable at this time. You're miserable, right? After leaving Boston, you're you're, you're just not feeling this baseball shit at this moment, right?
2: Brother I was miserable my whole life.
1: Right. <laughs> so, gotcha. My out, was, my
2: out was was. I mean, like this. There, I, I, there's, there's no zero disrespect to any any other organization. Sure. Great times in other organizations. Uh huh. You know? uh-huh. And like I, I've never felt as a family. I've never felt like like. At home with the pressure, with like this, there's certain people that are are built to endure and thrive in that environment, mm-hmm. and it doesn't make it, it doesn't make you better or worse than any other player. But I was one of those guys, and Big Poppin was one of those guys, right? You sure, I mean? Manny, so, so stuff.
1: yeah, um, yeah. Now on the flip side, um, you weren't happy at all in Toronto, and you know, I know that there was some. Problems there, are you comfortable talking about what happened in Toronto? I'm comfortable talking
2: about anything you want to talk about. Gotcha. I was comfortable in Toronto in the batter's box in the batting cage. Right. <laughs> but it, it, it was the clubhouse.
1: Well, you know you, you what know else when I was comfortable? What's that? On the 1st
2: and the 15th. I got paid a lot of money,
1: brother. <laughs> I hear you, brother. <laughs> I, hear you. I hear you. I hear you. So... Um, why don't you explain to me what happened in Toronto in your words? I know there was uh, there was some um, some kind of argument between you and the manager, John Gibbons, uh, some things that you may have wrote on the board, and your frustration uh, didn't play well with him or Riccardi. What exactly happened in Toronto?
2: Um, it's funny that you say that because what I want to convey to your audience mm-hmm is that if you don't take anything else from me, I hope you take this from me. I'm sorry if you hear my dogs barking.
1: Now nah, you're good, know, brother. Pain not transformed is transmitted.
2: Let me say that again. Pain not transformed is transmitted. We're gonna go through life, right? And we're gonna have experiences in our life, and our belief system is formed and created, and the foundation of who we are happens in our childhood and in our adolescence. And if we experience things in our childhood and our adolescence that we see uh, that is a negative, like what the heck just happened? That's going to cause an emotion, and that emotion is going to form a pain because the way we perceive and the way we interpret and communicate that experience to ourselves. So, I went along my journey in my childhood and in my adolescence, and what happened was I got kicked off my junior high baseball team, I got kicked off my high school baseball team, I got kicked off my junior college baseball team. Really? I got kicked out of multiple games (laughs) in the minor leagues, I got in fights with the managers in the minor leagues multiple times, and I was always the best player. Right. What is this from? This is pain. But I didn't transform in experiences in my childhood. And this is what the listeners are going through. And this is why your listeners aren't able to tap into the greatest version of who they are. Because they formed a perspective that's holding them back from the pain they experienced in their life. Mm. This is natural. This is human. Uh-huh. This is all of us. Yes, sir. So I wasn't able to transform any of that pain I experienced in my life. So it was transmitted. How do I transmit that pain? to anger through competition, through all that stuff. I was a raging bull in the clubhouse. I was a raging bull in the field. I don't know what y'all are doing. I'm going to the big leagues, and I'm crushing. If I don't get a hit off this pitcher tonight, I'm going to throw my bat at his face. If the third-base coach is going to chirp at me and yell at me when I'm in the batter's box, I'm going to release my bat and hit him. Like, that's the rage I had inside myself. Right. That's not Shane Hillenbrand. That is not pain that has been transformed, so you to transmit that pain. Mm-hmm. So I would hold stuff, hold stuff in and hold stuff in and hold stuff in and hold stuff in and hold stuff in, and then I just explode. I just explode, right? And I did that throughout my whole life. I've done that baseball field, sure. But my out to try to escape that pain was having success in mm-hmm. my profession. Because if I had success in my profession, everybody would think I'm a really cool dude, but inherently inside myself, I think I'm the biggest worthless piece of crap in the world. And I was so scared for anybody to ever look into my eyes. I never let my wife 15 years look into my eyes, but I was scared scared that she would see the shattered soul inside myself because that pain that I didn't transform was transmitted and it harbored inside my soul and I became a very toxic person. How do you transform pain? You might be listening or, or questioning. You transform pain by changing your perspective to that pain point. So I'm going out throughout my career and I'm a cancer in the house. I'm out there crushing Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a good teammate, right? And it's sad because I'm the greatest teammate now, and
1: I'm the greatest. I can give
2: the shirt off my back to anybody, <laughs> help anyone now. But I'm the, I'm this person that's shattered and, and and just crumbled inside, and I'm building a temple with nothing. So it gets to Toronto, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm traded from the furthest place from home. I'm in a different country. They tax you another 4%, so I'm not making the same money. Like, it's so many stupid things you have to go through. Yeah. Rather than having a perspective, like, oh, my gosh, it's a great opportunity right. to experience something that I wouldn't experience otherwise because I'm playing baseball. I'm going into my free agent here, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, man. Like, I just know I'm an all-star for the Red Star. I'm an all-star for the Blue Jays, right, and, and like I'm, I'm like I'm in a rocket, I'm a, you know whatever, and I go into my agent. ear not doing what I'm supposed to, what I thought I should be doing, uh-huh. and I didn't know how to navigate that pressure and that pain. So I hold it inside, and I become introverted. I don't participate. I'm I'm just trying to because I, I, I'm scared to let it out because what I'm going to let out is going to tear up this whole clubhouse. So it came all the way down to the point to where if you want to really look at the layers of it, it's not a matter of the incident of what happened in the clubhouse. We'll okay. Writing on the board. Uh-huh. The ship's sinking. Play for yourself. Uh-huh. None of that. Like that, that. That's just the byproduct, right? You're addressing the fruit of the action if you look at that. I want to be able to look at the root I would look at the depth of the roots of what drove a person to take the actions and decisions he made. That's what's relevant to your to your uh, listeners. Not that I mean, if I talk about what happened to Klaus, it's extremely entertaining. Right. But if I don't talk about the root, it's not transformation. Absolutely. you have a major league baseball player that's in the apex of his career, getting ready to pay ten, fifteen million dollars. Like, my, like I'm going to go to the next level because I'm one of the best players. in the Yes. Because of my numbers uh-huh. and, and 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 everything self implodes. I write things like like looking back now. Mm-hmm. Out of any manager I played for, looking back now, John Gibbons is the kindest. Manager I ever played for. Wow. And it's, like I said, zero disrespect to any other manager. Right. Right? Uh, Because I played for some other great managers. John Gibbons is probably the best player manager. Hmm. John Gibbons is probably the best manager that I relate to. Because he managed from his gut. Mm -hmm. He managed not from statistics, not from analytics, not from all the stuff that's funneled down. Yes, he leverages that information, Mm -hmm. but he managed how I would
0: manage.
2: And he's like, I'm going to make this decision. I'm going to live and die and by this decision. And if you don't like it, I'm sorry. I'm leading the ship. And I couldn't control that because I didn't see that. Mm -hmm. I perceived that situation differently as someone that was trying to sabotage my... Right. And hey. I was that person in the clubhouse that would do stuff and say stuff that would do things that other guys would do. So the long story of the short Vernon Wells was calling a players only, meeting because one of our pitchers, I'm not going to call him out, right. uh, called him out in the newspaper the day before saying that he's dogged after a fly ball and didn't catch a fly ball in, in the center field while this pitcher was pitching late in the game. But the reason why, Vernon Wells didn't go full out because he's got to pull hamstring. And if he goes full out on this ball, it's meaningless other than the pitcher's numbers. Gotcha. It's
1: meaningless to the team. Mm-hmm. He's going to pull his, pull his hamstring, and he's probably going to be on the DL. And let me tell you
2: what. As a player's mindset, if your franchise player is not in the lineup, it's a blow to your team because it's like, dude, we have a superhero. Regardless of the superhero's going to come through, the superhero franchise player can be going at 0 for 30 slump, but he's so good that any point in time, he can jack one on the park and the game. So he's capable of doing that. So now Vernon Wells is called a players-only meeting, and I'm really close to Vernon Wells. I'm like, dude, i got to do something. And I am like, at the point in my career, I'm like, I'm numb to everything and everybody around me. I'm like, I don't care. I'm
1: going to do something, and that's what I did. Right. I wrote on the board, ship, sink, and play for yourself, because I thought I was going to get a pee for the, the players, but obviously it wasn't. And John Gibbons caught wind of that, and he called me out, which he should have. Right.
2: Because somebody like that in the clubhouse writing that, that's toxicity. That's dividing the clubhouse. That's bringing a negative. Like, like you don't want that. If a player wrote that, in my clubhouse is a manager, I would... I would have a conversation. I don't know, like, right now, if I would address it the same way that he did, but he chose to address it and take a risk in, in, in a way that he knew he best suited to show the organization, not the organization, but show the team that, dude, like, I, I'm in charge. Like, dude, like, I've told you time and time again, Shay. Like, I understand that you are. I understand how good you are. I'm trying to put you in the lineup as many, as much as I can, but I've dealt these cards, and I have to play these certain people because J.P. Rechardi, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not looking at it like that. I'm looking at like this, like like my numbers, my production is my identity. And that's what fans don't understand. If I don't go out there and put this my identity, if I don't have this identity, I might as well put a pistol in my mouth and blow my head off. Right. That's what we go through as Major League
1: Baseball players. Uh-huh. And that's relevant to so many, so many listeners out there because there's
2: some people listening that are going through those same challenges where they're fighting addiction, where they're fighting alcoholism, where they're fighting promiscuous. They might be cheating on their wife. They might not be showing up as the best husband. They might, might not be showing up as the best father. And I did that at the highest level, but unfortunately, when you do that at the highest level on that stage, your you, is to the world, so the whole world knew what Shea Hillenbrand did. So that was like the like the grand finale of it was. two years of having to deal uh-huh. with Shea Hillenbrand in your clubhouse as a manager. That is a really good manager. That, right. Like I would like like seriously, if I went back and played now, I'm like I want to play for that
1: team. right?
2: Because I'm a different person than I was in the clubhouse. I well, mean, let me
1: I'm ask you this. 40. Let me ask you this. How long after this incident do you realize that? The problem is the root. How long does it take for you to reflect and and realize that there's something much deeper than, you know, me writing this on the board? There's something much deeper inside me. How long does it take for you to come to that realization? That's a very good question. I've never been asked that. I -hmm. love
2: this because, uh, like I said, I'm an open book. Um, You want to know the truth? Mm Mm-hmm. After I was one breath away from losing my life in the van nine years ago, after I was dusting drugs and alcohol, um, I wanted to end my life, and I got off the the floor of that van, and when I got off the floor of that van, I didn't have any side effects, I didn't have any nausea, I didn't have any stomach ache, I didn't have any headache, and the the cocktail of, uh, of alcohol and pills I consumed the night before because I was trying to run from that pain, I was trying to numb from that pain, I was trying to flee from that pain, because pain not transformed is transmitted. I couldn't feel that pain never went away because I never dealt with the root of that pain. Uh-huh. So when I left off the floor of that van, I was forced with two main decisions. Like the most major, most difficult decisions of my life. I said, I have to take back control and I have to own my life. I'm 40 years old. Like I have so much more of my life and I know there's greatness inside myself that's so far greater than whatever I did on the major league baseball field. I can get too crass about
1: baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh.
2: I've been created with a voice, with something to be able to reach the world with what I'm doing right now. And I said, I have got to take back control. When I was in baseball, I was supposed to make a hundred million dollars. I made twenty million dollars. Wow. I was supposed to. I knew I could hit three hundred thirty home runs and hundred RBIs every single year. Year in and year out, and I flirted with that on um, a couple of years, but I never achieved that. And let me say, I don't care about the $100 million, I don't care about the $20 million, But what it was is that I care about the one-fifth of my potential. So many people are operating that are listening to this right now. And one-fifth of their potential, they don't even think they have greatness inside themselves. Right. Because yeah. what they're telling themselves every single day, I'm an idiot. And they're telling themselves they're an idiot because the pain that they're experiencing because they can't articulate or identify where this pain is coming from. And they don't know anything outside of that pain. I live with that pain and that gut-wrenching stress in my stomach for 15 years straight playing baseball. That is the worst experience in the world. And it doesn't matter where you are. So I became infatuated to say, you know what? Why did that Shanghai brand not reach or only reach one-fifth of the potential. Mm. What it dis- and at that point in time, is where I discovered it when I got off the floor of the van. What right. I discovered is that your perspective of how you view the world is how you're going to... Portray yourself. Right. From my perspective of how I viewed the world at that time on top of the world on that level I'm not good enough my dad doesn't love me and I have this pain inside myself and I do not know how to get rid of it but the only place I don't feel this pain is in the batter's cage or in the batter's box or if I'm doing things to distract myself. cheating on my wife, having sex, watching pornography and then taking an Adderall and then drinking and what I want to share to your audience is I was not a drug addict and I wasn't an alcoholic, and I'm not a drug addict now, and I'm not an alcoholic. What I discovered through the process is that the number one thing that, this is what Shane Hilligram believes, the number one thing that everybody's addicted to is not food, it's not drugs, it's not alcoholism. But the number one thing that people are addicted to it's a story that they tell themselves every single day. derived wow. from the pain that they feel inside themselves. Mm-hmm. That pain can be transformed. That story can be transformed. We have the remote control in our hand to be able to change the town, to be able to change the movie, just like we do Netflix or Amazon Prime. We have the remote control in our hand to tune into a different frequency of operation and tap into the depth of the greatness of what we have inside ourselves. But we can't do that unless
1: we understand where that pain comes from, and transform that pain. Brother, I love listening to you. I could do this like all day. I know you could do it all day. You know, we've spoken in the past. I fucking love it. Um, Before I get to this, this game that I want to play with you real quick here, why don't you sum it up? Give me a whole summation of your message how you're doing it, maybe plug yourself, uh, you know, tell us where we can find you to get this message. Cause I think it's very inspirational and I think the seam heads in my audience should really be clued in on this. Where exactly can we, can we find you and what is the overall message that you would like to portray to my steamhead audience?
2: Yeah, thank you so much, and I appreciate this opportunity. And I don't take this for granted. I'm super grateful for this opportunity because I know you're passionate. I know you don't just let anybody on here because mm-hmm. you're passionate about your listeners, and you care because you want to make an impact with the gifts. It's very, 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 very apparent that you do that, so I'm grateful. Uh, where they can find me is Co. Because some, for some reason, some fan in Boston bought com and expects me to pay a lot of money for it. And I'm not going to do that. I don't blame you. So, co, and you can find me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, uh, and uh, LinkedIn is where I spend the majority of my time, and I'm going to... Starting to put up more YouTube videos. Just, just, just look at me at Shay Hillenbrand. Uh, on Instagram, if you're there, it's Shay underscore Hillenbrand. Uh, but my message at the end of the day it's it's your perspective. And we have the power in our hands to change that perspective. I was on the streets three weeks ago in New Orleans. All week, and I discovered like so many truths about people that are on the streets. Mm-hmm. The perspective that they have, the perspective for so many people is they cannot see the blessings right in front of them, they, they don't answer, they don't ask the right questions, and then they feel like they're not seen, so they feel like life's passed them by. So, your perspective is formed from the pain in your life, man. Pain not transformed is transmitted. For so many people, they're transmitting pain, and through uh, how they drink and how they eat and how they, just trying to run them and flee from that. And the power is in your perspective. And once you change that perspective, you can rewrite history. You can go back and rewrite history. You can have the most traumatic experience in your life. And I'm not saying taking light of anybody's experiences because I've dealt with a lot of professional athletes that have done through so many things. Their mom's a crack whore. They have to go to a crack house and they're. Like dead, like drugs out of prison, like all this stuff. My my story is minuscule compared to theirs. But what I want to convey is that whomever is listening, your story is your truth and your perspective is formed from your truth. It doesn't matter where your story is. You could have had everything the world handed to you, so now you don't even try to tap into your greatness. That's your story and your truth, but I challenge you to audit your perspective. And once we change that perspective, we can rewrite history, and we take back our power, and you tap into that greatness of who you are, and you take that out there, not for yourself, like I tried to do, because my God-sized hole was so great when I was playing Major League Baseball. I was trying to fill it with everything externally, all the money, $20 million, private jets mansion six cars 300 pair everything running doing everything on top of the world i was trying to fill that god-sized hole with that but i couldn't do that i had to go inwardly and master my domain that's where it's at we're trying to seek success externally if i just have success in my profession and do this stuff all that pain will go away if you think that it's very obvious that you've never had a lot of money you've never been very rich right. and gratefully i've
0: been in that spot mm-hmm. and
2: the craziest thing and i wanted to live on this the craziest thing is that you think that that success you think that that money you think that that status is going to give you and help you fill that void and when you get there and realize that it doesn't that's the scariest spot to operate from is when you have that success and realize that that is not filling that void because you don't know how to fix it you don't know how to rectify your relationship with your spouse or your partner you don't know how to rectify because you're not equipped to fix your relationship with your kids all the damage that you've done as a byproduct not intentionally but inadvertently because the pain that you're experiencing hasn't been transformed has been transmitted so i challenge people to audit their perspective
1: Awesome, brother. Awesome message. I mean, just totally awesome. I I, I could talk to you for <laughs> hours, man. So, look, before we get out of here, I've had a few ballers in here. Uh, Kenny Singleton, Benny Agbaniotti, Bill Lee, and others. I like uh, to play with Benny. Oh, yeah. Benny's a great guy. Great guy, man. I love Benny. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, I like to play this game with these guys. It's called Who Owned Who? And I'm always amazed by the memory of ballplayers, the things they hold in their mental Rolodexes. And if you're up to it, I'd like to ask you a couple of Major League Baseball pitchers you faced. And you tell me, did you own him or did he own you? And by all means, if there's a story you can recall about facing this person, by all means, give us that skinny on that, okay? Absolutely. Okay. Let's see here. Who owned who? Let's start out with uh, Hall of Fame pitcher, former Oriole and Yankee, Mike Messina. Did you own Moose, oh. or did the Moose own you? Uh,
2: it, was a, it, was a, it was amazing. It was a dance. It was a, it was
1: a symphony. It was a fine piece of poetry. <laughs> I love there it. There was times where he would make me look stupid, And there was times where I
2: hit a game-winning home run off of him, or excuse me, a go-ahead home run off of him in Yankee Stadium with 44,000 in the fans, uh, in the stands, and the whole stadium went silent. And that's the coolest thing to do as a player is to go to a stage like that. Especially Yankee Stadium?
1: And I'm going back to the dugout
2: after I hit this home run off Mike BC in Yankee Stadium, and a fan just wears and bellows from her soul. brand! I still taste your mom! <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, dude! I'm sorry that you did that. Dude. Like, out of that dude. like that's supposed to hurt me, dude. Like I don't care, dude. Um, and I remember going into the ESPN game of the week in Boston. Now was such a beautiful moment, man. Of uh, Brad Dahlbach hit in front of me, uh-huh. and he hit a monstrous bomb to right center field off Mussina of early in the game, and the crowd erupted. And I walked to the plate, and the energy still crazy going to the stadium as I'm standing in the batter's box, and he throws me a first pitch, like, get-me-over, like, little spinning cutter that's almost like a BP fastball, uh-huh. and I usually take the first pitches, but man, that crowd locked me in, and I launched this first pitch over the lights and almost onto the turnpike nice in Fenway Park, back-to-back, on the ESPN, uh, Joe Morgan calling it jump, like, it was just, like, out of this world, but... Now he brings his uh, his whole menagerie of pitches. The guy was an extreme bulldog. He wasn't overpowering, mm-hmm. but he had a heart of a lion. it. And that was so fun to go up against him because he'll either carve me up or he'll leave one there and I will do something with it. So that was a fine dance with my team.
1: So would you say he owned you or would you say you owned him? It depends if you're a Yankee fan or if you're a Red Sox fan. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, the stats. I have it. Now Mike right on. The stats say that you owned the Moose. You went 15 for 46. You had two doubles, three home runs, a triple, eight RBIs, and a 326, 340, 609 slash. So, not bad numbers against the future Hall of Famer right there. Uh, let's do another one. Uh, Hideo Nomo. Who owned who? Oh. Did, did Nomo own you, or did you own Nomo? I owned you did. I played behind NOMO uh, in Boston, and
2: Hideo NOMO taught Jay Hillenbrand how to eat sushi. Really? And that was a cool experience. Not, well, no, I grew up a diehard Dodger fan okay. in L.A., yeah. and I would watch NOMO. I would
1: idolize Piazza. Mm-hmm. So I'm on the plane going from Boston
2: to L.A., cross-country flight. We're playing interleague. My first time in Dodger Stadium for Shane Oliver. I had dreams for two weeks going up to that experience, not about doing something spectacular at home plate, but standing at third base and looking up in the stands where I sat as a kid, eight, nine, ten years old, with a nachos in one hand and a chocolate malt in the other <laughs> hand, saying that I'm going to be down there someday. And I envisioned myself, I have the goosebumps piercing through my soul right now. Nice. Uh, I, it's just, uh, it's just, uh, I just I'm going to be down there someday. And that's what so many people don't do. They don't. Mm-hmm. They, 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 they let life kick them in the butt. Right. And life's knocked them down and knocked their dreams and vision complacent and knocked them out of them. And it's got to revitalize it. Your dream is dormant. So I sat there on the field, Uh, After I was on the plane, but um, our athletic trainer, who was one of my really close friends, Chang Lee, trained Hideo Nomo in the off-season. So he knew Hideo Nomo inside and out. So I went up to Chang Lee on the plane on our cross-country flight, and I said, Chang, what's my approach against Nomo? And I was so nervous because he's got this Ginzu change up on this kung fu wind up <laughs> right? he, uh-huh. I played behind him in Boston right, man. and it's right. just like he threw a, a no hitter and I, I was like yes. oh my gosh when this guy's on he's untouchable and Cheng says don't do worry, sit fastball <laughs> come on dude he's got this change up genzu. no. no, 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 no sit
1: fastball you, sit the fastball <laughs> <laughs> and I look back and my
2: seat from the plane like, scratching my head I'm like oh my gosh I guess I'm just going to have to do that. Long story short um, oh, I, oh my gosh, man, I'm almost gonna come to tears right now because, uh, to, I had a genius a kid with, uh, Vince Scully calling my at bats. Wow, the first time Vince Scully ever called my at bats. Wow, and I have a video of it. Uh, long story short, uh, that game I went four for four, uh, with a single, a double, I had a single off the double demo, I had a double off the demo, and I had a home run off off the demo, and it was just an out of body experience. I man. Just, like I was just like riding that wave, it's like, I can't even believe, it's so overwhelming to be in that experience, living your childhood role sure. time that you've been yeah. in so long, that it's like you it's just like you can't even process the feeling, so I, yeah, thankfully I just faced him, uh I believe that one time, and
1: no, actually okay. you faced him, you faced him 20 times, and you did own him, you went 10 for 20, you had two doubles, two home runs, five RBIs, And, uh, 500, 500, 900 slash. So, yeah, you faced him quite a few times, actually. And you, you, yeah, you definitely owned him for sure. (laughs) Uh, how about Yankee Southpaw Andy Pettit? You can go to hell, Andy Pettit. How about that
2: type of person? I absolutely despised facing him. Right. I despised it. I despised it to the T. Like, like, he would throw a seeker away. He would, and if I got on first base, I was so like in my head because I can't believe I got on first base. He picked me off first base cause he
1: got one of those amazing, yes. amazing pickoff moves. But he hit the ball so
2: well and he threw a cutter in on me that I just jammed myself every time. And then when I the one or two times I got into a hitter's count, I'd like he'd throw me a secret and I'd hit a like line drive at, at Soriano or somebody at second base. But one hundred percent, one hundred percent, that's not even a question. He owned big big
1: time. Hey, did. You went five for twenty seven, two RBIs, four strikeouts. You had a one eighty five, two forty one, one hundred eighty five slash. All right, let's try another one. Uh let's try let's go Roy Halliday. The Best pitcher
2: that's, I, I, I can't say that because I don't really watch baseball. That much. F-
1: Is he one of the th- best that you ever, ever one of the faced?
2: Best, though. Most dominant, quiet, uh-huh. silent assassins, right? you ever meet with a heart of gold that loved what he did, loved his wife, loved his kids, mm-hmm. loved everything, and he didn't want to play in a big market, so he loved playing in Toronto. Right? This dude had a cutter. He had a sneaker. He had a curveball. He had a slider. He had a split finger. He had the whole menagerie. Right. It was insane. I was like, I was like, I was like, I'd rather face Chris Carpenter than ace that staff than Ray Holiday because it's just like, it, it was just, it was just like, oh my gosh, it's like fighting with my wife. <laughs> i <go to> that <laughs> house with Ray Holiday. It's just like, oh, I hate this. It's like, what am I? I'm not going to win. I'm going to try even the idea. Oh my gosh, I, I, won, I won the battle, but I'll never win the war. Uh, but what I want to share with you guys is that uh, it goes deeper than that because Ray Holiday, um, after the games in Toronto, mm-hmm. they closed the dome and we, he and I, Nobody knows this.
1: He and I would pull out our remote control airplanes. Really, we
2: loved flying our remote control airplanes. Really, the day when I played with Ray Holiday, he's just so quiet. He's so kind. He's uh-huh. just like, he's just so peaceful. Like, it just he's not like you'd think he would be like uh, like Pedro Martinez is a hundred percent opposite. Right, that, Ray Holidays is so like like this never said a bad thing, and if right. he did, it was with great intent. So he always this is the craziest thing, brother, is that he always like. I'm going in for my
1: final approach. I'm doing my angles with my turns. My wow. runs at 30 degrees, and I'm coming in perfectly. Wow. And I'm going to rush
2: this approach. And I'm like, screw this, Roy. Like, I'm going to die bomb his plane every time, and I crash
1: the plane. Right. You're like, I'm flying this baby up to level 500. I don't know what you're doing.
2: Yeah. <laughs> like, you can tell my world was like eternal hell, and his world was under control. You know what I mean? Right. So I like, so crash his plane, and I always like... Uh, and I would always, like, have to buy him a new aeroplane. <laughs> like, ultimately, yeah, ultimately, you could see, like, that's
1: how Roy lost his life, is that he yeah. crashed his real yeah. aeroplane. That's what I was thinking and, while you were saying that. If we, if, if you give, actually, i say, what's the assessment of that? It's
2: like, what's my identity now that I finished what I was doing playing baseball? Right. Like, I don't know how to survive. And the only place, brother, that I felt comfortable that I got the, like, you can't, you can't when I suited up, Put my uniform on and walk down through the tunnel from the clubhouse to the dugout. And I do that every single night, 162 over six months. Like I'm going to war like a gladiator going in the ring to fight for his life. Like right. I'm doing that. That's what you think. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought. And that's what Roy thought. And there's no other feeling that you can replace now batting number twenty-nine, Sheilenbrand. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm walking from the on-deck circle with nothing but fair, pure confidence permeating through
0: my veins, going to war when I have one pitch and at bat to do right.
2: anything with and I'm ready to go like there's nothing to, f- to replace that feeling and it's so difficult for us Major League Baseball players to find something to replace that when we're done and uh-huh. Roy found that adrenaline through flying in his plane he, he was very skilled and he was very advanced and, and obviously he tried to push the limits and he came out uh, you know it's it sure. just it's very unfortunate because that's not who he is right. that's not who he was and the, the, I mean, I'm telling you man the fight is real the that's fight amazing. is real like us as major league baseball players, a lot of people don't realize it, don't understand it, because they think we have everything, and we have, we're living the dream, all that stuff. But the the the, the, fade, the fight, the pain, the pain is real. It doesn't matter where you are. But Roy Holiday owned me. Yeah, and and once
1: up. the and once the cheers stop, it, it, it's got to be like a you know a a, 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 a mind opening experience. You know what I mean? One day, like you said, they're Shane Gillenbrand, the You know. When you
2: lose the game, your mind gets twisted. Right. When your mind gets twisted, you live in the past. Hard,
1: hard. So, so many people listening to this
2: right now, they're like, oh, I didn't achieve, I missed my opportunity, I didn't do this, I lost my marriage, I lost this, or I'm in this spot... When you're in that spot, your mind gets twisted, and when your mind gets twisted, you live in the past. And for so many people that live in the past, they beat themselves up over the mistakes that they made, not patting themselves in the backs to see how far they've come
1: right. to persevere because they woke up that day. That's right. That's right. You're absolutely correct. Um, and yes, Roy Halladay he did own you four for twenty-two, one double, four RBIs, three strikeouts. I had double? You did have a double, and you had four RBIs. Oh, Yeah, three strikeouts, 182, 182, 227. We'll do two more guys. Um, How about, all right, here's a Yankee, Southpaw, David Wells.
2: (laughs) I think you'd say that. I played with David
1: Wells in uh, L.A. Uh at the end of both of our careers in 2000s. Uh-huh. Uh, my, I, uh, my free agency I signed with Angels and I'm playing
2: with Mike Sosha and I suck. I wanted <laughs> to disappear I wanted my pain to end right. and they released me Grady Little, who was my first, second big league manager, but mm-hmm. he was my manager when I became an all-star. He gave me a chance, and I went there to play with David Wells, and this guy is a... David Wells was at home surfing for six weeks, and he hadn't touched a baseball in six weeks. He was surfing in San Diego, and uh, Grady Little always wanted him to, to manage him. So the Dodgers signed him, and they flew him to New York, and he started in New York without touching a ball in six weeks. He threw five or six innings and won the game. Wow But David Wells struck me out Probably three or four times Legitimately Because he uh-huh. was a hitter You know what's a ball Or a strike I don't right. care what anybody says Right I know My eye is so tuned in mm-hmm. But It all depends On the umpire And that's the beauty of the game Because that's true. you have human That's right Right So each umpire Would have different zones And the game's changed So much now I Apparently there's that one umpire This season That called a perfect game Who gets a damn <laughs> <laughs> So so, um, uh, David Wells struck me out multiple times but the, the, they called it a ball and he's out there just fuming on the mound and got you know distracted just a bit because he's like dude I struck this fool out and the very next pitch every single time I would get a hit <laughs> <laughs> the very last time he struck me out when he was playing for the Red Sox uh-huh. and um, I was playing for the Jays and he legitimately struck me out like boom like he like he was like Looked greater. He started like walk off to the side of the mound. You know what I mean? It wasn't like questionable. Like, like, dude, I'm done. I got him. Cool. Ball. And they all, he turned around like, what? I got a ball? Like, this is right. Are you freaking kidding me? Like, this is stupid because nobody knows like the, the, the challenge that we'd have against each other, right? Right. And he's just like, like he's dominant, man. He was so good. you like, right. Look at him. Like, how does this guy do it? Right. Like, he was so good. So, anyways, what happened? The very next pitch base hit right I'm rounding first base he is cussing out the umpire like like wearing him out right but nobody can hear because sure you know he's got some discretion second base umpire comes in and tells tells, wellsy stop it that's enough and then David Wells turned
1: around and he spat towards the umpire like like not an alabar but he okay not an alabar I gotcha he he threw him out of the
2: game I got David Wells to I would do that with him and Kenny Rogers as
1: well, so I own both of them.
2: Yeah, uh, but they were just phenomenal pitches But a lot of people don't know, realize either. David Wells is a huge memorabilia like fanatic. So, oh. um, I wish I wish this stuff would come out. He would use a brand new glove every time he pitched.
1: Really? So he just went through
2: hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of gloves a game. He would get a new glove and he'd wear it during the week, like for his bullpens between the starts, and he'd do it and he'd autograph it. And then he keep it aside. Wow! Him and Barry Bonds had the most amazing idea because when you're you're an entrepreneur, right? So uh-huh. he collected all this memorabilia. So after he's done playing, he, he can he can sell it. He can do whatever he wants with it because those are assets. Wow! But Barry Bonds is the same way. Barry Bonds was not a part of the Players Association Oof. because like why would everybody else make money off me? Like 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 no, dude, I want to do my own
1: thing, right? Whether
2: you like it or not. It's
1: irrelevant, but that's what he chose to do. And they're sitting on gold mines. That's that's amazing. I owned David Wells. You did, did own absolutely him. Amazing. Twenty-one for forty-five, five doubles, one home run, four RBIs, four sixty-seven, four sixty-seven, six forty-four. And I'm digging this uh, Yankee. I like hearing your your you pontificate on these Yankees pitchers. So I'm going to give you one last Yankee pitcher, and we're going to make it El Duque, Orlando Hernandez. How'd you do against him?
2: His was, like, when you say that, like, he is, um, Mucina, Mike Mucina, and, like, funky cool moldy. He had that crazy leg kick, he mm-hmm. was throwing a frisbee spider. Like, he was a very difficult at bat. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just like, he's not going up there, like, digging in. It was like, he's got knees, and ASS, and elbows coming at you, and he's all over the place, and, and it's just like, it's crazy, so, uh. Um, I think I did fairly well off of him, but,
1: you know. Yeah, you know, I would say he he probably, I would say he owned you. You went three for 22, one double, one no, RBI. He yeah, yeah, he owned me. Yeah. yeah, three Ks, 136, 174, 182. And, uh, but
2: you know what's funny is I remember like, getting a hit off of him before I hit that game
1: winner on Mariano. Really? Off of park, so wow. Um, so, uh, I was watching tape of that home run you hit off uh, Mariano a couple of days ago. Yeah, uh,
2: you but, know who owed me the most in that staff?
1: Who's that? Romero, Brian Bowringer? Mendoza. <laughs> Who? Oh, Mendoza. Romero, yeah. Mendoza. Sure. I had difficult times
2: with sinkers and from righties and cutters from lefties.
1: So uh,
2: I lived out over the plate. So anything inside, I had a very difficult time doing. So I led the league one year and hit by pitches because... Pitchers knew that if they threw it over the plate, I'd just smack it off their freaking forehead. <laughs> but uh, if, I, if, I, if they threw me inside, they had a really good chance of, of getting me out. And I loved hitting because that was my out. because I hated my life. And I loved hitting. It was like a drug to me. So I'd swing a lot of stuff like uh, Vladimir Guerrero.
0: <laughs> yeah. From, <laughs> uh... I remember
2: one time in Yankee Stadium, uh-huh. Mariano got me 3-1. And Torrey, Joe Tori took him out of the game. And he put Ramiro and Ramiro Mendoza.
1: Wow. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> I was going to say, oh, Mariano was a little hurt or whatever, but that's not. It. So and, uh, uh did. First did pitch and got a base but, oh, you got to base it off of Mendoza. Yeah, he's going
2: to be first pitch sinker right in the middle because he's 3 1, right? So,
1: um. God damn, brother. But, I got to tell you, man. I
2: What I want to share with you, like, like, like. I met Mariano in the
1: All-Star Game. Uh-huh. Ramiro, like they're the kindest guys, man. It's Like, right. like you're aging, I kill, I hate you. Nah, 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 Jeter, Pesada, and bipsada, and right. Zombie, right. And, it man, ain't like they, that. They, they
2: were, like it's like, but they're the, the fraternity. They're cool dudes. But yeah, you know, the fans yeah. Don't do
1: that. You know what I mean?
2: So, uh-huh. like, how do you see uh, David Ortiz and, and Big, Big Poppy and Alex Rodriguez, you know, doing the World Series? You know what I mean? Like this guy's like. In the evil empire. it's the
1: Red Sox. Right. right. The biggest rivalry. So right. It's, it's, it's a fraternity, man. Well, brother, I got to tell you, man, I can talk to you all day. And I know you can talk to me all day. I mean, this has just been an amazing one-on-one. I hope that sometime in the future you'll come back and share, share some more of your message with us because I think it's very important. And uh, I think people outside of here should uh, definitely get a piece of what you're – Talking about these days, so I'd love to have you back at some point if that's possible in the future.
2: Absolutely, brother. Let's
1: do it. All right. Well, look.
2: Impacting lives, revitalizing souls, and planting seeds—that's what I've been putting here
1: to you Absolutely. All right, brother. Well, look. Uh, do me a favor. Hang on, and I'm going to hang on the line here so I can talk to you when I get off the air, and I'm going to close this br- this mother out. Um, you know, uh, that my seamhead audience is the story of Shea Hillebrand. I want to thank you, Shay, for spending some time with me, allowing us to add your story to our collection of ballplayers here at Backwards K Pod. I hope you guys in the audience enjoyed listening to this as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. And, folks, on Tuesday, I will bring you the in-depth story of the hammer, the immortal Hank Aaron. I can't wait to bring you that, but, look, that's another story for another pod here at Backwards K Pod, where we collect ball players and their stories. Parents, if you see your kid sitting on the couch with their nose in the phone looking bored AF, by all means, take him or her outside and play a game of catch. Thank you all for coming out. God bless and win the deck.